0: Father, as we open up the scriptures here to Exodus chapter twenty, we would ask that you would enlighten us concerning your will in the Ten Commandments. We know that there are many more commands inside of Scripture, but we understand these are your top ten. And help us, Lord, to carry them with us. Help us to reflect on them. Help us to be diligent. and meditating and seeing what your will is in any given situation as these would apply so father we pray by the power of your spirit that you would teach and guide us into all truth in jesus name amen well last week i told you about the percentage of people that actually could name all 10 commandments and when i did this research i don't know if they could name all 10 in order But only 14% of the population of the United States could recite the Ten Commandments. If you guys did the homework and you came back and you had all ten and you had them in order, let's just review them one more time. Have no other gods before me, right? Second one, make no graven image. Third one, do not take God's name in vain. Fourth one is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. The fifth one is? There you go. Sixth one? That's right, knife, right? Thou shalt not murder. What's the next one? Adultery. What's the next one? Then? Bear false witness or lie and covet. Now, if we have those down, if we actually reflect upon them, the first thing that happens to us is we go, oh, I'm guilty. You know, if you actually think about them. Is there anyone in here who has never taken God's name in vain? see we're guilty yeah Nancy you never have well you know you're not supposed to bear false witness either (laughs) no hey I'm just saying the idea is if you've broken one you've broken them all God considers you and me sinners and so when we get a hold of the ten commandments we go What are we supposed to do? God has told us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And what is the remedy for that? Because God always must judge sin. But see, even the Ten Commandments, people misconstrue what they're all about. They think that it is a vengeful, hateful God waiting to just pick off individuals when they don't follow the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were given to us as a way, a means of maintaining order in the society and helping us to walk according to the statutes of the Lord, doing what is right, just, and fair. And so if we reflect on these things, what they actually mean and get the full bouquet, so to speak, of the Ten Commandments, God did this for our benefit. It's like, it can have this effect for some people, like disciplining a child. When you discipline a child, you know it's for their good, but you know they're going to disobey you in the future, and you're going to have to discipline them again. It is going to continue like that for several years, hopefully. And when I'm talking about discipline, I'm talking about spare the rod, spoil the child. You don't beat the child silly, but it's just the threat on a young child if you ha- walk around with a spoon or something and you give one little swat to the seed of understanding the, you know the rod of wisdom that does wonders for the child to keep them in line but God says if we fail to discipline our children and he's talking about corporal punishment he says we don't love our children and God disciplines us the same way and he sets out what we're supposed to do just like we do with our children we don't discipline our children when they commit an act that's wrong out of ignorance but we expect them to know what's right and wrong as they grow isn't that the case with us as adults as well the law expects us to know what it is that we're not supposed to speed we're not supposed to steal all of those things that are good for the society we're supposed to know those we should have been taught those from our earliest years but even now that is being taken away because truth is relative we don't have to have these solid truths that we guide our lives by anymore it's simply something that Whatever works for you, that's always good, and that always leads to disaster if we take the absolute truths of God and set them to the side. So just reviewing a little bit why God gave us the Ten Commandments. They were given to us so that we would be a people that would prosper and live a longer life than we normally would. And that was the end of Deuteronomy as well. It said in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 33, walk in all the ways that you, the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Now, that was specifically possessing the land that was for the nation of israel but the same is true with us right if you are a kleptomaniac if you just can't stop and you get arrested several times for a grand theft auto and you're thrown thrown into prison prison is not a good place to be it's where actually you can get harmed inside of prison have you ever heard uh, the word shank you know what a shank is They can stab you in prison, and your life may end if you make somebody mad in prison. So the Lord says, do not steal, and you will not end up in that kind of predicament. Or do not murder. You know, you're not supposed to commit adultery. All of these things, the Lord says, avoid these, because if you do, your life will be prolonged. If you violate these, your life will become shorter, right? For instance, have you ever considered lying to somebody in the mafia? you better not you know if you do you could end up six feet under right and that's the mafia and there are real evil people out there i mean just the way that we can take these commandments and if we're in perilous times or perilous places just do what is right just tell the truth you ever lie to a police officer probably not a good idea to lie to a police officer what's going to happen to you you can have trouble in this life if he finds out that you're lying have you ever seen the show cops really i didn't do it the car door was open somebody told me to get in there and drive away the car honest officer and they have the whole thing on videotape you know what do they call that bait car or something i used to lo- love watching that because the people would just lie through their teeth and there's a video and then they would still insist on lying it's like get a clue. You know, if we would just follow these Ten Commandments, we wouldn't have these issues. So many young men, especially in the black community, they get popped for this idea of stealing cars. And if they would just follow thou shall not steal, they wouldn't have issues of having to go to prison. And so we are to remember that we can have a longer life and a blessed existence if we follow the commandments. Now, also with these Ten Commandments, God is not contained in the Ten Commandments. You cannot look at the Ten Commandments and say, oh, well, that's God. He's a jealous God, doesn't want any other gods out there. You better not bow to them. You better not make a graven image. And it seems like it's almost a forceful existence to be under the Ten Commandments, and it's not. We have to view this with the proper eyesight that Christ can give us through his Holy Spirit. And so if you attempt to know God by, for instance, um, prepositional statements, God is love, does that describe God in his entirety? The answer is no. What if uh, I said God is light does that describe God in his entirety? No, it doesn't. If I describe God as omnipotent, does that describe God in his entirety, that he's all-powerful? No, it doesn't. What about justice and mercy and faithfulness and patience and joy and all of these things are part of God? How many things could you name that are part of the existence of God? You can't. There are so many attributes that he is infinite. And we will learn about his attributes and who he is over eternity. We will never catch up to who God is. We'll never come to a full understanding of, I know who God is fully. It's never going to happen. Because of who God is, he is so great, he is so grand. The only way that we can even attempt to understand him is through prepositional statements. And that's how God revealed himself to us. He goes, this is all you need to know right now. But when we get to heaven, he's going to expand our understanding. And he will do so, as I said, for all of eternity concerning his person, who he is, and what he does. Now, the Ten Commandments contain universal truth. David Guzik, in his commentary, said, all cultures have said murder is wrong and kindness is good. All agree that we have particular obligations to our family. All say that honesty is good and that a man cannot have a woman, he, any woman he wants. They agree that stealing is wrong and that justice is good. There are no cultures Where cowardice is good and bravery is bad. So there are universal truths that we can latch on to, like the Ten Commandments, and they will guide us. They will be an anchor for our soul. They will be the keel on the sailboat that keeps us going on the seas of humanity and existence. So that's why we want to make sure that we hold on to those things which are absolute and absolutely true. And if they are absolutely true, they are absolutely true for all time, for all places, for all people, for all cultures. They do not change. Scripture says that, that God does not change like shifting shadows. He's not capricious in the way that he acts. He does not, well, I'm going to do this today while tomorrow I'm going to change it. He's not like that. And the Ten Commandments help us to understand that. That's all contained in these. We also must remember that the Ten Commandments were given for our benefit, as I already said. And for the Christian God, they are summarized, uh, or excuse me, for the Christian, God summarizes these Ten Commandments in just two commandments. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, where Jesus was asked about the greatest commandment he said love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments so god made it real simple for us if we can't remember the ten commandments you can easily go to those two love god have no other gods before me and love your neighbor as yourself if we do that we will have a blessed and prolonged life now god identifies who he is in exodus chapter 20 in verse 1 it says and god spoke all these words verse 2 i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery so god was causing the people to look back from whence they came when we come to christ when we accept him we're supposed to remember our sins place them at the foot of the cross ask for forgiveness and he takes them away. He actually removes them. The consequence of those sins are taken away. That's why we have to go before God and say, God, please forgive me. I am a, a sinner. I have placed other gods before you. I have made idols in my life, even though the idols are not necessarily the same today. You have maybe have taken God's name in vain even this last week. Maybe you did it and you weren't really sure if you did or not. Just wait till I get into euphemisms. I have a whole page of euphemisms that we just think, well, they're just different words. And I'll have more to say on that in a minute. But this idea that God is causing these people to reflect back and where he's causing them to go is Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, where it's revealed, Then the Lord said to him, referring to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And so God is the one who says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Well, how did you even get to Egypt? You went into slavery, Joseph, and all of that? And God brings them out after 400 years, and it's a rounded-off number. But when he brings them out, the Egyptians give them all their possessions. They say, just get out of here. Here, take this stuff and go. So God caused this to happen. He is showing himself faithful. He has identified himself, number one, as a promise keeper in Genesis chapter 13 when he makes his promise to Abraham. God is reminding the Israelites of this. Secondly, God has identified himself as one who protected the Israelites from the Egyptians. He's causing them to recall that. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Yeah, he did those mighty works, right? God also, number three, has identified himself as one who provided for them food and water in the wilderness. Have you ever walked out into the desert with no water and no food? We'd have to be just nuts to do something like that, right? You don't have to be like a Bear Grylls and go out there and say, I'm just going to survive out here with nothing. And you're going to eat some dead animal, roadkill on the road, or you're going to break open a cactus or eat a palm, uh, the meristem in a palm and survive. Don't even attempt that, all right? It's good TV, but it's not for everyone. But God is the one who provides everything that we need as well. You know, look at the birds. Have you ever just sat there and contemplated these birds? There's a couple places I take care of, and they have bird feeders out there. And these birds, the finches come in, and the starlings come in, and they're all talking and yapping and eating, and they're just having a great time. But if they're not at these bird feeders, they're down in the dirt, and they're looking for things. I see doves in my backyard with the perslang seeds. They're just gobbling those things up like, this is such a feast, and they stick their heads down, and they're all over the place. And God provides for them through the act of bringing weeds into our planet and i'm going wow god even out of something bad you bring something good you feed the little birds and you are concerned about them are we not more valuable than those birds absolutely we are now we love our animals our dogs and our cats and it's evident they're all over the internet right oh just just so cute this is cuteness right here and you have to watch the video which is more cute your child or an animal. Now, I hope you have the right answer on this one, but it should be your child. It should not be the animal. We love our animals. I was talking to Patty last week that I have never been without a pet since I was three years old, a dog. I always had a dog. And when our last dog died a few years ago, we thought, you know, should we get another one? Because, you know, they're just so Cuttable, you know, and you have especially little docks and puppies. The way that they look, it's like, oh man, I could just have six of these little docks and puppies. They're just so great. But you know, you you move on a little bit and you don't want the responsibility and and they're wonderful. But our children take precedence over any animal. That we would ever possess. And we are supposed to love our animals. And that is good. But God makes a distinction there. He is the one that provides. He is the one that protects. He is also one who is the punisher of those who do God's people wrong. And God says, you know, if somebody does us wrong, scripture tells us that we are to leave room for the Lord's vengeance. The Lord will repay. Now we can also, when we are wronged, we can turn to them and the Lord's going to get you, right? And we can just, oh, well, I just can't wait for that to happen. You should turn to yourself and go, ah, God had mercy on you too, remember? Or me too, God had mercy on me. And so we're to ha- have a proper perspective. The fact that God keeps his promises that secondly... He is the one who protects. Thirdly, he is the one who provides. And fourthly, God identifies himself as the punisher of those who persecute the ones he loves. And God is going to do that at the end of time here on earth. Now going on, God wrote these Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. If you know what flagstone is, you could go down to the local stores. There's KRC Rock, there's Alpine Rock and Block, there's other places around town, there's RCP, and you can get some flagstone. And some flagstone is really hard and some flagstone is really soft there's a red flagstone called Sedona red it's really soft but it is just as red as red can be and it comes from Sedona then there's this other stone called three rivers it is as hard as rock Pun intended. You, you get that rock and it will just eat up diamond blades and you can write on it. I'm sure God chose some rock like that and he etched it in there. The finger of God wrote out the Ten Commandments. And of course the first four commandments are vertical. Our relationship with God. And the next six are horizontal. And the last one specifically is internal. Now all of these are internal to some degree. But the last one, do not covet. It's to you for you to keep your heart in check and so if the vertical is good then you can properly exercise the horizontal but if the vertical is not good the horizontal ones are going to be skewed because wherever we love god we will love our neighbor but if we don't love god how can a man say he hates his neighbor god says the man who hates his neighbor is not a believer in god so we want to make sure that we exercise love first with god and that we keep his commandments concerning him he tells us what to think about him we are not satisfied with that as the human race we want to make up things about him on who he is but yet most the people in the world choose to take the bible the word of god and put it to the side and say no that's not what god is like at all have you ever talked to somebody who's an atheist or an agnostic or new age they will say well i just don't believe that about god really you are the authority i know right and i'm being a little sarcastic because i'm not saying just one person does it we all do it we all develop this idea of who god is apart from the bible And I believe we actually commit a sin when we do that. God tells us who he is, what we're to think about him, how we are to worship him. He spells that out. It is very clear. It is very lucid. It is very concise. And so God gives us these commandments for that purpose. Now, the first commandment here, you shall have no other gods before me. It is because there are no other gods. (laughs) You know, it's pretty simple. There's no one else that is like God. Even the angels. Now, the angels can do the miraculous. God empowers prophets to do the miraculous. But have you ever seen somebody, or do you know of somebody, that is everywhere all at once? You try to be in two places at once. Just start, Oh, your wife is. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> have you ever tried to be everywhere all at once? If your kids or grandkids are in the back room and they're screaming, you know there must be blood by the way that they're screaming. And there's some attention detail that you need, like the spaghetti is boiling over on the stove. Can you split yourself and go two ways? You can't do it, right? God can. Pull off that one. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. You think you know it all? God does. He knows it all. He knows everything about you. I can hardly keep in my mind the Ten Commandments. I go, what? More of those again? I'm going to have to repeat them in church. I better review those again. Those things, you know how you get older, they just kind of fall out? I think it's out the ears or something. You have to get earplugs and put them back in to keep the information on the inside. But God, He is omniscient. He knows everything. He never forgets. You think an elephant never forgets. God never forgets anything whatsoever. Also he is i said omnipotent right strong no i didn't god is strong you think you're strong i i love um, facebook and instagram especially with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers they'll take pictures of themselves right look how good i look and they'll do it like the guys i have a uh, nephew I'm looking good, huh? You know, just little scrawny pencil arms, you know, that he has over there. And he's getting some definition down here. It's like, we think we're so strong, don't we? And how long does that last? Not long before you wear out because you keep on pumping iron and running and your joints wear out. And all of a sudden you have to have a hip replacement or an elbow replacement or a shoulder replacement. And we're just a miserable lot. And God, he is all powerful and he doesn't weaken If he had an arm wrestling match with God, he would just sit there forever. He would never tire. No one is like God. God says, have no other gods before me because there are no other gods. He is the only one. He is the exclusive. There are people, there are things, there are entities out there that would like to call themselves God. There's one pastor, I think he's in Texas. He thinks he is the next incarnation of Jesus Christ himself. The man is a Looney Tunes. He's a fruitcake. He needs to be locked up somewhere. If you think you're God, something is wrong. Right? And, and so God says, have no other gods before me because there are no other gods whatsoever. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together, which means he is keeping the molecules in our body intact. It's almost as if he were standing there. Now, God doesn't do this. He doesn't need to do this. But he's standing there with his hand over all creation, just holding it together. And if he decides to go, whoop, just kidding, you know, and put it back on. And he keeps those molecules and those cells and everything together. If God took off his hand, everything would just disappear. You think about this stuff, you go, whoa, you know, it's kind of, mind-blowing to think he is actually right now holding it together. I remember from chemistry and physics that they didn't know what held the electrons around the nucleus of the atom because they would actually expel one another. But they're held together. And I remember at that time, now they may have changed their theories because that was only 10 years ago when I was in school, but they they have this theory that there was this atomic glue is what they call it. There's this glue. It's like the universe. They can't explain what's out there, so they call this stuff dark matter, and it makes up most of the universe. But they don't know what it is. But there's some energy out there that does something, but we got to give it a name, so we're just going to give it a name. We're going to make it up, and we're going to call it dark matter. And God knows all of this stuff. God is the one that holds creation together. There are no gods beside him. Nobody even compares and so we need to have this view of God. You shall have no other gods before me. That means you worship no other entity. You place no one higher than God himself. The second commandment, you shall, make, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the father's to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now this idea that if a father commits a sin, that it goes on to the third and the fourth and maybe the fifth and the sixth generation, that they are judged for that, that is a misinterpretation of Scripture. If if I, as a father, commit a sin, my kids don't get judged because of my sin. That would be the ultimate in being unfair and god is fair whenever you have a doubt about how god is going to resolve something god is ultimately fair and when he judges we're all going to say that was fair that was equitable that was good and so that's a misinterpretation of this of this passage the idea that if a father commits a sin and teaches the next generation to do so what's the next generation going to do commit the sin and be liable for the judgment and so it is incumbent upon us if there are sins in the generation that precedes us that we stop the practice of those sins and that we move on and teach our kids to do what is right otherwise that sin will keep on visiting the next generations for instance if somebody has a father who is an alcoholic or a mother that is an alcoholic chances are the kids are going to become alcoholics and so we need to stop that type of behavior so it doesn't go on from generation to generation. Psalm 115 in verse 2, it talks about this idea of idols. It says, why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does, he does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men they have mouths but cannot speak eyes but they cannot see they have ears but cannot hear noses but they cannot smell they have hands but cannot feel feet but they cannot walk nor can they utter a sound with their throats those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them in other words they are nothing But to make a graven image, and you see this everywhere, don't we? Uh, Making an image of God. Even in the Christian community, you walk into a large Bible bookstore. Do you ever see pictures of Jesus? (laughs) First, he was a blonde Irishman, right? Or a redhead Irishman. And he's looking up, and there's that light that just kind of focuses on him, and he has long hair. Chances are Jesus did not have long hair. Chances are it wasn't red. But the Catholic Church decided, you know, all good Irish Catholics know that Jesus was a redhead. And, and he wasn't a redhead. I'm sure he was Semitic and he had dark skin, he had dark eyes, he had dark hair. And that's who he was as a person. So any image that is created of him is a misrepresentation. Now, I happened to be in a pastor's house decades ago. And it's a pastor you all would know. And above his fireplace, he had this really contemporary picture of Jesus. He's kind of looking up like this. And he looks good, man. He looks like he should be in Hollywood or something. And his hair was just right. And his beard was good. And it was just a sketch. And I go, man, that is a really handsome picture. Scripture tells me he wasn't handsome. Scripture tells me he was an average-looking guy that you wouldn't look twice at. Chances are he wasn't that tall. Chances are he wasn't that short. He was just average. Isaiah tells us that. And so it's a misrepresentation of who he is. Now, if somebody made a misrepresentation of you, what would you think about it? Have you ever taken a picture or somebody taken a picture of you and you go, oh, I hate that picture. It doesn't look like me at all. You've never done that? (laughs) Do that? Oh, it's so horrible. Delete that right now. Just delete that thing. Get it off of there. Because it's you feel it's a misrepresentation of who you are. So any picture you draw of Jesus is going to be a misrepresentation. Now, would you get upset if somebody misrepresented you? Yes, you would. I don't look like that. My neck isn't that long. I have a shorter neck. You know, if they drew a picture, they can maybe draw a caricature. That's the best that we can come up with if we draw a picture of God is a caricature. If you go to a carnival, they have those mirrors that are distorted or you have that program that will distort your face, make your eyes look really big and your mouth really small. It's a distortion of who you are. And if somebody said, oh, that's exactly what they look like, you'd say, oh, it's not who I look like. Well, that's what we do with God when we make an image. That's just a picture. Well, what if you make a carving? Does God look like that? God doesn't have hands. Well, why did you give him hands? Because that's how I understand him to be. Like, for instance, in the wilderness, when the Israelites had a calf, right? They made a golden calf. Why did they make the calf golden? And why did they make the gold into a calf? Because in an agrarian society, what is the strongest animal that you would work with? An oxen. And a calf of an oxen, you'd say, oh, God is strong. Well, what about the rest of his attributes? You're misrepresenting him in the fact that it's a calf, and it's something that is created. God is uncreated. Well, why did they make it out of gold? Because he's precious. He's worth a lot. Well, that doesn't say anything about the sacrifice that he's made, that he wasn't considered but a pile, you know, a heap, something that wasn't worth to keep around. Even Paul says, I've become the scum of the earth scum that stuff on top of a pond that you would just scrape off that type of thing you know so it does a disservice to god to misrepresent him by making an image of him if you go to israel today and you go to a restaurant or something they may have a sign like italian restaurant i went to italian restaurant over there there's this mural that goes across all the walls and on the murals you will not see any animals or any people because they hold to to the tradition that you should not make any image of anything and stick it up in the wall, let somebody go and worship that. So they'll paint landscapes. You'll have the Italian cypress up there and the rolling hills and some rocks and some vineyards, but you'll never see an image of any individual or any animal. And so they've taken it to the nth degree. They don't want any image made because any image made of God would misrepresent who God is. Now, do we make images in the world today? All you have to do is go over to Cambodia and you will see a Buddha on just about every single corner. And they will tell you, rub its belly for good luck, right? And they're all different-looking Buddhas. Some are skinny Buddhas. Some are importantly buddhas you know you have all you have gold buddhas you have stone buddhas you have bronze buddhas you have wood buddhas you can get any kind of buddha you want over there and it's an image and what would you do you just set that up and say that's my buddha i put my buddha in the garden right there and it gives it peace and serenity over the garden i was just at a nursery and i saw this buddha sitting it's like oh man there's an idol right there so in the buddhists they have little buddhas hanging around what about the hindus (laughs) The Hindus have so many gods, they have so many idols which are out there. You know, for instance, two of their idols, one is Vishnu and the other is Shiva. And if you look at them, Vishnu has several hands behind them, you know, kind of in all different directions whatever but they make these idols and they set these idols up if you go over to cambodia uh, the Cambodians have a five and seven headed snake in the the main area of their uh, roundabouts that they have there in the center of the city i mean idols are just everywhere well what about the muslims do the muslims have idols they will tell you no they don't have an idol do you know what mecca is Have you ever seen Mecca? If you've never seen Mecca, look it up. You have this big rectangle. It's huge. It looks like it's four or five stories tall. It's just a big black square with a white band going around it. and Down below that are some, I think they're painted on images of block. Inside of this, actually on the southwest corner, is this black meteorite. And this meteorite... It is said, came down during creation before Adam and Eve. And Abraham took it. And it represents God's covenant, Allah's covenant, with Abraham and Ishmael. Not Abraham and Isaac. And they put it as the cornerstone. They will even quote scripture on this. Psalm 118. See, it has become the chief cornerstone now we know who that applies to that applies to jesus christ but they have this black stone it's been destroyed several times and so they have glued it together so to speak and they have this silver thing that goes around it and it's right in the corner of this obelisk or this square this rectangle that's out there and the square is called a, a kaaba is what it's called and they will allow people to come up and touch it and put their forehead against it but I think you have to know somebody to get in there to do that, but you can see it. It's it's the cornerstone of this thing, and they are. I'm telling you, they are worshiping it. If you have an image that you go up and want oh, to touch it. it I do mean to be disrespectful because it's an affront to God. They go up and they think that they have to touch it. They think that they have to put their head against it. They they revere this thing like it is the ultimate. It It represents the blessings of God that come down to all Muslim peoples through Abraham and through Ishmael. And it is a complete idol. And if you go to the Hajj, you have to walk around this thing seven times. You have to walk around it. Now... Let me ask you, if it's a requirement, one of the pillars of Islam, that you have to go in there, walk around this thing seven times once in your life, if you get to touch it, that's a big blessing that can come your way. If you kiss it, oh, that's even more wonderful. You get to bless it. But they all say, it's not an idol. It's really not an idol. Are you kidding me? If you go back before Muhammad, they had all kinds of idols like that. And they had them in this site. Well, they just narrowed it down to this one. And so it's an idol. Now what about us? Do we have idols? <laughs> no. We're Christians. We don't have idols, right? Most certainly we have idols. We have things that set, itself, set themselves up against the knowledge and power of God. Have you completely devoted yourself to God and you say, Whatever you want. Whatever you want me to give up, God, I will give up. And we use the excuse no i have the freedom to do this do we have anything like that and i i say we because when i look at this i go i'm such an idolater god who will deliver me from this body of death and see that's where the grace of god comes in he goes you recognize it that's good i want you working on it even though you fall seven times seven times you're going to get back up because i'm able to make you stand god says to us And that's the blessing of the Ten Commandments. It shows us what is wrong. But he leaves us and out. We do not remain condemned as people without hope. And so all these world religions, they have these idols. Christians, we make our own idols and we claim that we don't have idols. But we do. And anything made by hands can fall into this category of being an idol. you have something in your house that's a family heirloom that you protect? That is just so valuable to you, if anything ever happened to it, you would be distraught? Would you sacrifice all to keep whatever that heirloom is because it belonged to your mother or father or great-grandmother or great-grandfather? I know somebody who came through the church years ago that had a journal that was over 200 years old that their family had started to write in, and it was passed down from generation to generation. He actually showed it to me. And I thought, wow, that thing is valuable. But would that thing stand between you and God? Would you protect that over protecting the faith that you maintain in God? You see, everything that in this life is going to burn up and it's going to fall away. It's going to be destroyed. It can be a car. It can be a house. It can be a hobby. You know, I, I love a clean car, a clean vehicle. And then there are people... Who idolize their vehicles? They get out Q-tips, and no kidding, and they do the Q-tip along the the seams in the car to get out all the wax that's in there. And I saw this one guy once. He was driving in his van, and I happened to pull up right next to him. And he had this little brush, and he was brushing all the dust off of the dashboard and all the little nooks and crannies. And I oh, just I watched him, and he was it's good, you know, and he's driving along. And we can obsess over things like that. Shouldn't we obsess over God? Shouldn't he be the one that captivates us, that we deliver ourselves to completely, that we don't have any one thing, even our spouses and our children and our grandchildren, even though we would die for them, sacrifice ourselves for them, do we love them more than we love God? And we might because we can see them, but we can't see God. He's more like this ethereal gas, which is up there, this nebulous existence. We can't really define who he is, and that's why God gave us his word. So he would define for us who he is. God is love. God is patient. God is kind. All of those things. So this is the commandment, not to make any graven image. Then verse 7, and we'll close on this one you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name I have some other translations on this the Darby translation says thou shalt not idly utter the name of Jehovah thy God the complete Jewish Bible says you are not to use lightly the name of Adonai your God also in the book the translation the message the message no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. In the New Century Version, you must not use the name of the Lord your God thoughtlessly. So we all know that if you use God's name in a flippant manner, that it is taking his name in vain. Now, this next portion... The first time I brought this up was when I just had begun when the Lord called me to the church and I gave one of my first messages on this. And I just heard a message by Chuck Smith. And Chuck Smith was appealing to youth pastors who were at the conference and he said, if you can help it, do not use euphemisms when referring to God. Saying phrases like, oh my gosh, right? Now if I'm using God's name in an instructive manner I am not misusing it if I use God's name in a way to worship or to instruct I am not misusing his name we misuse his name and his attributes the things about him on a regular basis and we don't even know it let me read to you this statement the following list was compiled using Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary Webster's New World College Dictionary Roget's International Thesaurus, Rodale's Synonym Finder, and other references. So these are not my words. These are the words from those reference materials. Euphemisms for God. Gad, Gadfrey, God, G-A-W-D, Godfrey, Goal, Golly, Good God, Good Gracious, Good Grief, Good Lord, Goodness, Goodness Gracious, Goodness Me, Good Night, Gosh, Gracious, Great Scott, Odd, Without the G, and odd O D D without the G. Euphemisms for Oh God, egad, egads, ye gads. Euphemisms for Oh my God, oh my, oh my, G A W D, oh my goodness, oh my gosh, O M I G O S H. Euphemisms for Jesus, cheese, or cheese, or cheese, C H E E Z, or G. G E E or G E E S or G Wiz or G's or G E E Z E or G J E E or Jeepers or G or G's J E E Z or Jiminy or Jiminy or She's or Sheesh. I'm not done. Euphemisms for Christ. Cracky. Cricky criminy, cripes. (laughs) Now, if you haven't used one of these by now, (laughs) you're not communicating, right? Euphemisms for Jesus Christ. Jeepers, creepers. Jeez Louise. Jiminy, cricket. If you look this stuff up, I'm just giving you the list. I'm just the guy communicating. The first time I told somebody in a message that if you say, oh my gosh, it's a euphemism for God, the person got mad, they said, I know what I'm saying, and I'm not taking God's name in vain. Okay, fine. Believe what you want. Here's the evidence. Aren't we like that? We say, I'm, I'm doing it my way, and I don't care. Look, I'm just the messenger. I'm not done. Bejeebers, bejesus, bejesus by jingo uh, for Christ. For Christ's sakes, for crying out loud, for Pete's sake. How about euphemisms for Lord? Lottie, lordy. How about for God's hooks? It refers to the nails that were driven into Jesus' hands. Gadzooks, odds bodikins, odds botkins, zooks. Have you heard some of these? Euphemisms for God's body, odds body. God's flesh, odds fish. Euphemisms for God's wounds, gadzooks, odds zoons or zooms, euphemisms for god's blood blood odds blood euphemisms for god's rot drat or drats what about god's blind me or for god blind me blimey have you heard that one blimey yeah what about euphemisms for hell heck sam hill have you heard that one what in the sam hill right that's out there euphemisms for damn d-a-m-n blame blast confound dang darn dash dern dun hang euphemisms for damnation darnation and tarnation have you heard that one what in tarnation right what about euphemisms for God and using the expletive d-a-m-n dad blame dad gum Dag Nab, dog gone, God awful, God free Daniels, got rot, gold ang, gold arn, gold dern gosh dang, gosh darn. Are we guilty or what? This and this is not even complete. There are so many other euphemisms out there for God. And we just need to. Keep the line of the tongue behind the gate of the teeth. I'll pick this one back up next week. But just remember this. God is gracious to us. When we find out that we have been making these mistakes, when it comes to his Ten Commandments, he goes, I know. And we say, we know you know. Please forgive us, Lord, for what we have done, being so flippant with our Christianity, not taking into account the holiness of, of the name of the one who saves us. So my prayer for you is that you are able to lay these sins at the foot of the cross knowing that the Ten Commandments are for our benefit. God has shown us his graciousness towards us and as we walk in newness of life he is able to bless us as we confess to him our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it guides us so clearly. We ask that you would help us in our flesh to submit to it. It is a daily effort to pick up our cross and walk with you. Help us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen.